If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who has never loved the gaming community more. Thank you. And I'm Vervada, the girl who agrees with our guest today when she said that you should always trust your voice. Today's episode is a special one. We were honored to interview award-winning games writer Mary Kenny, currently an advanced writer at Insomniac Games and a professor in narrative design at Indiana University. Big shout out to Heidi McDonald for connecting us with Mary. Thank you so much, Heidi. Mary has written many games, comics, and books including the awesome new game, Spider-Man Miles Morales, and the upcoming Marvel Wolverine game. She was named one of Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2020 and is a big proponent for women in the video games industry. We were so thrilled to be able to sit down with her for this episode. So, without further ado, let's get into this interview. Excellent. Then we have everything we need to open the pod. Um, so I guess we wanted to start the interview by just having you introduce yourself, like who are you, what you're up to, and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> totally, totally. Okay. Uh, my name is Mary Kenny. I am an advanced writer at Insomniac Games, uh, where I'm currently working on Marvel's Wolverine. I previously worked on Marvel's uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, Uh, I was a lead episode writer and series writer on The Walking Dead, the final season. Uh, And then I have my debut book comes out this year, and I've done a lot of work in comics as well. So that's the whole whole spiel. Oh, I'm so excited for the book. I have it on pre-order, and I was like, July? It's going to be forever (laughs) away. I know. (laughs) Thank you, though. That's really nice. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see it. I've seen, you know, now the the interior art and the cover art, and it's so cool, and I'm really excited. I mean, the writing's fine too, but <laughs> like, but it's I'm I'm so excited for it to be out. 
seeing all the little moving pieces put together like that, the art, and then how the articles lay out and seeing how it lands on the page is just a little bit different than just, okay, this is what I wrote down, so I already know what the words say, but show me everything else. A hundred percent. I look at the like PDF proofs and then I compare it to, you know, my word docs. <laughs> it's quite a bit. The book is quite a bit cooler when it's not just my word docs as it yeah. turns out. I can't wait to read it. Like I, when I saw that it was called Gamer Girls, mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's something I, I must read. <laughs> I need to know about that because growing up, I'm a 90s kid, an early 90s mm-hmm. kid, and uh, video games were not a girl thing. And yeah. it wasn't until very recently where people started looking at me and being like, oh, yeah, you do play games. Like, I can't tell you how many times people are like, you don't actually play games or you just play like little cutesy games like Animal Crossing, which nothing wrong with Animal Crossing. Love mm-hmm. Animal Crossing. But, you know, it felt like we had to qualify ourselves. So I love to read about the women who actually are in the industry doing <sighs> stuff, making games, being a part of that. It's so cool. Well, and one of the, the cool things about writing it was it wasn't just like we didn't join the industry recently. We were often talked over, which is a huge bummer. But like you know, the women that I profiled were working in the 70s and 80s and 90s. I mean, they were they were I was also a 90s kid and they were working when um, I was a little girl being told the same thing. They're like, well, video games aren't really for girls. And I'm like, well, that's weird because I spent my whole weekend doing it. So apparently, <laughs> apparently they are. <laughs> So, you know, there is this longer history of, of women in games that I, I think gets overlooked or is only really remembered by, um, you know, game development academics, which are still awesome people. But like, I would love it to be kind of more common knowledge that like women have been around a long time and made a lot of really popular games that you have probably played um, or at least heard of. So, yeah, so I'm excited for it to be out and, um, you know, all these women to get the credit that, that they deserve. Mm hmm. Is that what drew you to narrative design, just as a kid playing games, and what first got you interested in doing that? Yeah, for sure. My first video game that I ever played was the first Neverwinter Nights game by Bioware. And as a kid, I was a big reader. I was a big fantasy reader, especially. So um, Neverwinter Nights, I was like, oh, it's like a book but I'm in it. It was the best thing that had ever happened to me, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that became my favorite hobby. And then I kind of dropped out of it in uh, around high school. And it's hard for me looking back to remember how much of that was just being really busy slash, you know, having friends that, that were like, eh, video games aren't really, uh, aren't really for girls. So I don't really know how much of it, you know, it was, what that balance was. I can't really remember all that well, but I came back to it in a big way in college with um, Dragon Age Origins, came out my freshman year of college, and my then boyfriend, now husband, bought it, and I watched him play it, and I was like, man, he is not making the right choices. I would make better ones, <laughs> so, so I started playing it, and it really drew me back in. I was a, I was a journalism major at the time, and then after I'd been a journalist a couple of years, I was kind of thinking about like a reset. I wasn't really happy as a journalist. I was thinking about a reset. You know, I was playing video games all the time. I was thinking about video games all the time, and I was like, well... Apparently, I'm an okay writer. <laughs> maybe I maybe I could write the video games. So I went to grad school at NYU for game design, and from there was hired by Telltale. That's how I got here. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> Honestly, I feel that you're so you're the second narrative designer that we've talked to, and it's so mm-hmm. interesting how similar both of your stories are for what drew you into narrative design, and also. That was, it's like a pipe dream of mine now. I don't (laughs) 
feel like I'll ever become a narrative designer. But mm-hmm. I, when I was a teenager, it was Dragon Age Origins mm-hmm. that made me want to do that too. And because I've always loved fantasy and stuff. So it's just so interesting. It's all these narratively driven games. It seems like, I don't know if you've had any interaction with other women narrative designers where their stories are the same, where they're like, yeah, this this one game that was a really great story is what made me want to do it. I feel like about half the women I worked with at Telltale, it was either Dragon Age or Mass Effect <laughs> that pulled them in uh, because because they are really narratively driven games, but that had a, a protagonist that you could plug into. And I think that opened up for a lot of people who love to tell stories, um, you know, the possibilities of interactive stories and um, not just making, you know, passive media, which is also great. But uh, I, I think I think it drew a lot of us in. And, you know, those they're really good games. Like I replayed um, Mass Effect Legendary Edition uh, mm-hmm. last year. I'm actually I'm on my second playthrough of Legendary Edition. Now it's been going somewhat slower because of uh, deadlines in life. But, uh, you know, playing it again, I'm like, ah, this is why we were all <laughs> suckered into this business <laughs> by the by the storytelling. So I think that is really common. Yeah, Dragon Age Origins in particular, really, even if it's not people's, you know, necessarily even their favorite game, I think it did inspire a lot of people to to know that they wanted to tell stories. Yeah, I just started my third Legendary Edition playthrough the other night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I finished the suicide mission this morning, so I, oh. I am there with you. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so wow. I have to know, who's your romance this run? Um, this time I got a little, uh, this time it was Caden in the first game. I have a real soft spot for him and it was Garrus in the second game. So I love how I'm setting myself up for failure and three. Yay. They're both, one of them is going to be sad. I mean, I know who I'm going to pick. It's going to be Garrus, but like, of course, but, uh, yeah, yeah, he's best. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been fun. They're great. They have a lot of feelings. Yeah. I was going to ask, what do you think as a narrative designer make up good character chemistry? Not necessarily just romantic, but Mm -hmm. I feel like for Mass Effect Dragon Age, I just finished the Uncharted series this morning for the first time. Like I'd never played it. And Naughty Dog's another studio that I think Mm -hmm. does such good narrative work. And what do you think makes us feel so close to these characters? Like what's that magic spark that makes them feel real versus just a story? I think that you need characters uh, who have strong and justified points of view, but that doesn't mean that they're static, right? It's not like, I have this point of view and it will never change no matter what. That, that's not what that means. What, what it means is they have a point of view and a perspective and set of priorities, but based on the events of the game, maybe those things shift. And not just player choice, although also player choice, I think, can help. Um, player A combo of player choice and just the plot as it's unraveling should push and pull those characters as much as it does uh, the main character. Um, I'll use, because he's you know now on the brain, I'll use Garrus as an example. My goodness, does that character change from the first game to the third game? And I think in a very, very justifiable way. And even the way that his loyalty mission plays out in two is very, very different depending on how you're playing but they both make sense for the character. It makes sense that he could be pushed or pulled in either direction because he's at kind of this fork in the road of his personality because something so vital has happened to him. This this is a defining moment of him as a person. So to be able to participate in that, I think really helps players connect with him either way, either choice. Um, so mm-hmm. that that's it. They're, they're strong, but they're not static is, is how I would. So when you think about 
romance specifically. Mm-hmm. What do you, as a narrative designer, I don't know, have you ever worked on a game that gave you a choice or were they always pre-scripted romances? Like, which do you think you would prefer to write? Stuff like yeah. that. So, so my big um, kind of, if, if people know about my game writing, it's probably because of the romance I wrote in Walking Dead, the final season, which is between uh, Clementine and Violet. And uh, it, it's a choice. You don't, you don't have to do a romance with her and you, you, a, don't have to do a romance with her, and B, don't need to even choose her as, like, your best friend in the world. It's There's a branch where you're either bonding more with her or bonding more with a dude named Lewis, and then on either of those branches, you can opt into a romance or you're just best friends forever. Either one works for both. Um, so I worked on all of those <laughs> um, because I, when you make that choice, was episode two season. Um, I was the lead writer of that episode, and... The way that we did it and why I think both resonated really well with players was uh, at that point, Clementine was a very established character, right? She had had she had been in three scenes already of The Walking Dead uh, by the time we get to four. And the reason that we decided to include um, romances at all is that at this point she is like in her older teenage years, she's edging toward adulthood. And that is a time when you're going through a lot of choices like the the big thing about Clementine season four is she's building what it means to be an adult in the apocalypse, what it means to have a home in the apocalypse. And part of that is romance or really close friends or like, you know, all of these things that are all about her settling down and choosing a home. So Violet and Lewis for us, it wasn't just making them good, interesting characters. It was also building characters who could be a reflection of who Clementine wants to be. And I think that's really helpful as a narrative designer. Um, because that's that's what players are choosing. Like, who are they in addition to who do they want to be with? So for Lewis, he's kind of, he's more of a, I don't want to say a goofy character, but like he he has a sense of humor. He's more lighthearted about things. He, um, it, like the first time you meet him, he's, he's popping off jokes in a way nobody else does. So when you're opting into a Lewis friendship or romance, your Clementine is also someone who really sees value in let's let's cling to humor, let's cling to good things from the old days. Let's let's mm. remember what it is to be not just survivalist but humans, right? Violet is much more uh, she's much more serious. She is focused on survival. I wouldn't call her ruthless, but she is very very protective of the people she cares about. So if you're opting into Violet, your Clementine is more about I must protect the people I love. That is my number one. Like, it is much more about I will do whatever it takes, even lose some of my humanity if it means protecting the people I love. So that's kind of the choice that we're putting in front of you. And then for me, the other consideration was I really didn't want, when we were designing that, I really didn't want to punish players that didn't want to opt into a romance. That was really important to me because, like, playing people play games and don't want to do a romance. That's fine for whatever reason. So... It was really important to me also, even though I'm a big sap who's going to do a romance every time it's offered to me, it was really important to me that if you if you don't do a romance with them, they're still stoked to be your BFF. The two of you still have long heart-to-hearts in the way that a best friend would. The friendship is just as deep, but it is different than being in love with either of these characters. So um, that's kind of, you know, a lot of thought went into it, and that's only two romances. Like, I, you know, I can't even imagine working on a game with, like, 12 or whatever, but... Um, yeah, a lot goes into it for sure. Oh, I absolutely love that the best friend aspect uh, that you were able to incorporate that because I had mm-hmm. I had somebody reach out that was like 
wanting us to cover the fact that asexual relationships are not portrayed Mm -hmm. in video games that have video game romances as a key component. And you can't just have several platonic friendships with people. And so having the option that both of your romance characters can be Mm -hmm. fully platonic, that's awesome. Yeah, and I kind of had that thought too, um, talking to my friends was like, there are plenty of people, I mean, my friends and other people I know who have never, you know, either are asexual or just have never really had a romantic relationship and don't really want one, like, but they have very close friendships. Like, many of my friendships are among the most important relationships of my life, so why wouldn't that Mm -hmm. be true of other people? And I do think that's just as important in video games. I always, I get kind of annoyed when it's, when a game treats it as, like, you pick this one person as your romantic partner, so you must not care about anybody else there. And I'm like, but, but I can say multitudes. <laughs> like, I can right. do both. <laughs> it doesn't have to be make every relationship polyamorous capable, mm. but don't give me a nasty confrontation scene where I'm going to be confronted by two people at the same time going, you have to choose between one of us right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Agreed. <laughs> Very much. I was just thinking back to Tally when we did that last night. There's so much of her that you don't really get to find out about unless you romance her. And I think that's another thing, too, is some some characters maybe don't get as fleshed out if you don't pursue the romance. And I think that's really nice that you still got to know that character, even if you didn't love them romantically. Mm-hmm. You still got to learn about them just through a friendship. And I think that's really... I, I was, I was going to ask, I haven't played that game, but mm-hmm. when you get to the romance... Does it just end there? You know how many games like the culmination is you have sex or you declare your love and then it's not really mentioned again? No, definitely not for the same reason. And I do want to say like as a brief call to second, then I'll come back. I promise. One of the reasons that I and and I mean, the other members of the team had these thoughts was because we had all played Mass Effect and Dragon Age. You know, we were able to build on foundations that other game developers had already created. So, um, you know, I, I agree. Like, it was one of those we got to improve because somebody else went out there and kind of took the first risk. So, like, mm-hmm. hell yeah, Bioware does. Like, you know, did a great job, like, kind of inspiring us going to. Um, but no, it does not end. Uh, in that, um, there are actually a lot of a lot of ways that it can branch. It's a Telltale game, so of course. But um, if you opt into a romance in two, then it is um, paid. It continues to pay off in three. This is your romantic partner for all three. And uh, it continues to pay off in episode four as well. It actually, um, one thing I saw kind of out in the world <laughs> after, after the series came out was people saying, Oh, I wish that this had come later, actually closer to uh, the mass effect model where your romantic scene is like the penultimate scene before the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And I could see that. Like I, you know, I don't, I don't really have an opinion either well, clearly I do because I helped write it. I think it was kind of nice to introduce it a little bit sooner because then we got to be in a romantic relationship for three and four versus, um, you know, just kind of, will they or won't they for four episodes? And then, oh, they did. And then it's over. Um, you know, it was, it was nice to be able to have that relationship. And there are extra scenes if you're friends too. I mean, again, it's not just you get romantic scenes in three and four or you don't. You're, you get scenes with your friend or your romance or your whoever um there's another big choice regardless of who you picked as your best friend or your romantic partner there's also a choice in like who do you save in a big fight which doesn't have to be the same person so that it branches in a lot of interesting ways um and but we did continue to pay that off i do like that i wasn't yeah i we we talked about this with heidi's episode too about like Mm -hmm. because that's 
I mean, our whole show, we analyze the romances and then we, mm-hmm. we do give them a rating. <laughs> but I don't want to make it sound like we hate anyone's choice of whether mm-hmm. they chose to make it go longer or only show certain things. It's sure. I can't even fathom how much work goes into this, especially with branching choices. I would probably lose my head trying to keep track of everything. How do you guys <laughs> keep track and make all these loose ends tied up? Uh Lots of charts. <laughs> Very helpful. Um, I usually, uh, again, I think it all starts with having a strong foundation for your character. Like none of that is going to work if you don't deeply understand who your characters are. So I'm going to pick on Violet for a second because I wrote most, of, not all of her, but I wrote most of her um, in episodes two through four. She, We knew exactly who she was, where she came from, what her background is, why why she is where she is, how she got here, what she's been through since the apocalypse star. We knew all that going in season because we had done that pre-production work, right? So because we knew all that and knew how she responded to different different stimuli, like being attacked or falling in love, you know, we could reliably branch out, all right, how is she going to react when Clementine says, sup, I'm in love with you? You know, how is she going to react when Clementine says, hey, you're my best friend on the whole freaking planet like you you can map those reliably because you know who these characters are so well so the first thing is to do that pre-production work of really understanding your characters um but even then and i don't want to say there's no spontaneity because um sometimes things surprise you the you know we had written violet actually shifts a little bit from episode one to two because uh you know they were being made simultaneously which is how game dev is but uh we were recording episode one and i was listening to the actress's choices and that shifted how i wrote violin in two because like she just the way that she said lines was different than i had expected and i really really liked it i liked her take on the character so we could um we kind of adjust so the short answer is just lots of charts and, and understanding understanding who your characters are and how they react to things and i think that's important and i think it's something that the video games that do romances um that I've enjoyed do really well is that not every character responds to romance in the same way. Mass Effect is like that. Dragon Age is like that. Like they don't all have the same kind of like, okay, I like you now. You know, some of them, some of them run away. Some of them lie to you. Some of them are soulless and I'm not over it yet. (laughs) There's a lot of good. Oh my gosh. You romance soulless and inquisition too. Yo. Okay. Hold on. I I did. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) It was was a huge bummer for me. Um, No, I romanced um. Dragon Age, I romance Alistair, Anders, Solus. So I just have, there's, I'm just not allowed to have nice things. <laughs> well, how did your, were you a non-human noble? Is that with Alistair? Sure Is that how was. it ended bad? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I convinced him to keep me around as so like, it's fine, good. but you know. <laughs> yeah. Almost wow, the same. Him. Yeah. I was Alistair, Fenris, Solus. And yeah. I still would choose Solus again. I don't know why I like to be hurt. <laughs> I chose Solus again on a second playthrough. I, I too, like, enjoy pain. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I, I haven't played Dragon Age as far, um, mm-hmm. so I haven't picked two, but doing research for future episodes, I can already tell that I'm an Iron Bull girl. Like, I know yeah. it's going to end not well, but that's my style. <laughs> I anytime someone uh, tells me they're an Iron Bull romancer, I'm like, wow, it must be nice to be happy. <laughs> He's awesome. <laughs> I when I picked up Inquisition again earlier this year, my best friend, who's chronically uh, Iron Bull romancer, she was like, mm-hmm. come on, this time ride the bull, and I'm like, no, 
<laughs> That's oh. a good friend. That friend, that friend gets it. <laughs> she's my yeah. She's the best friend. We actually became friends because of Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Yeah, um, yeah. But I was gonna ask too regarding writing romances and friendships. Like, how do you mm-hmm. make it feel like it's unfolding naturally versus just kind of rushing? Mm-hmm. I, you know what I mean. Like, it sometimes might feel shoehorned in a game. You know, that's the direction you're going, but. I think to do that well, um, you need to, I think the reason that can often happen is um, a team isn't necessarily working together. So let's say you're a writer and you have this really great idea for a friendship, but other people on the team maybe aren't into it or we don't have the scope or they're more interested in other things and they, they, you know, just don't want so much want to put the time and resources into it. So you end up writing like the one scene that you're allowed <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm going to pack all the friendship into this one scene. Boom. And then we met like made it. Um, so I think it behooves you as much as you can to pitch it early and often and get other people on your side and get other people really invested in it. Because the more people on your team who are invested in it, the more resources you're going to get to build it over the course of your game. Um, you know, it is easier to build a, uh, a believable friendship in four scenes than in one. Uh, that's, is kind of how it is. So um, being able to pitch your idea and why it's important and why it's going to work is really helpful. Being able to show other teams your scenes as soon as possible um, and getting feedback and making sure it ties into the main plot and um, you know everything else going on in the game is really, really helpful. Um, and then apart from that, if you don't have that, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to pull from my own experience. On Miles, we had a, a character named Haley who doesn't get a lot of screen time, but she um, she was in a couple scenes. And by the end of her side mission, she and Miles are flirting pretty hard, right? And I've gotten a lot of fan messages like, hey, are they together? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you better play the game. Uh, but the way that I kind of did that one, you know, I knew how much runway I had. And so that was an example of not pushing them too far too fast. Like it would have been weird, right? If like at the end of, you know, one mission where they had met each other, they were like, wow, we're going to prom together. Like that, that wouldn't work. But like to start to flirt and to start to kind of have a little bit of banter makes more sense. Um, so it's also just kind of acknowledging how much time you do have for your given. So cool. I can't wait to play that. I, that's my next game I'm playing is Miles Morales. <laughs> I love Spider-Man. So ever since I was a little kid, can't wait yeah. to play that. I remember when we first reached out to you, you were like, oh, yeah, I wrote this one scene of Miles Morales. Is that the one you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Flirting? Mm-hmm. I can't wait to experience that. And now let's take a quick break to listen to some of the sponsors of our podcast. And a quick thank to our patrons. We appreciate you so much. Toasty, Apollo, Meiji Moose, and our newest patron to join, Commander Shanko. Thank you so much for your appreciation and support of the podcast. We really do appreciate your continued support. To, I guess, switch gears a little bit, because I also really am interested in your book, so I kind of want to go back to your book, Yeah. Um, if that's okay. And I wanted to know, I guess, first off, what made you want to write it? And is there something that you were surprised to learn talking to all of these women and writing about them that you didn't realize before? Yeah. Um, so there, there's kind of a two-parter in how the book came to be as it is. The first part is that um, 
Eric Smith, who is my literary agent, um, came to me and was like, hey, you know what doesn't exist? <laughs> this book, like a book about the history of women in video games. And I wrote back to him and I was like, of course it does. Somebody has to have written that book. That's bananas. And I did a bunch of research and I was like, wow, it really doesn't. <laughs> you're you're right. You know, there there is a book, a really good book called uh, Professionals of Play that that is more about like uh, modern, you know, women in game development. And it's great. I highly recommend it. But uh, there wasn't a book really focused on the early years of game development and the women who were working on it. Um, so that was phase one was discovering that this book didn't exist and being like, wow, it should. Um, phase two was, this is the intro of the book, um, first, I guess. Uh, but I spoke at a uh, game development workshop uh, for high schoolers at Indiana University, specifically for high school girls. And um, you know, I came in, and I talked about my job and I talked about the day to day and life is great. And uh, at the end of it, there was a Q&A session and all they wanted to talk about was Gamergate. And they wanted to know, what is Gamergate? What happened? How bad is their harassment? Do you get harassed a lot? Why haven't people driven you out of the industry yet? It sounds like it sucks. <laughs> and I, it really, it really broke my heart because they're not wrong to ask those questions. Like those are really important. And the stories about, um, about harassment are important to report and to stop it from happening again and to out people who are abusers. Like all of that is very important. But what broke my heart is that that's all they were getting. The only time these young women were hearing about women in the industry was when women in the industry were being driven out of the industry. And that's not fair. <laughs> like I was like, but there are also women in the industry who are not being driven out who are having big, you know, huge success, do love their jobs, who do love their teams, who aren't in toxic environments. And I think we should be writing about those too. I don't think that we should only interview women to ask them how bad things are. I think we should also be interviewing interviewing women to ask about all the successes too. Like uh, ask them about the award ceremonies, ask them about the production process, things like that. So <laughs> I know this is a whole like spiel, but um, so that's, that was the goal of the book was like showing this other side to it. Why are women still in this industry? Why do they care? What are, what were their successes? What were their motivations? Um, and uh, yeah, just being able to show that, that kind of the joy of game development as well. And when I was, when we were pitching the book, we definitely had a few of the editors who were, who were interested in it did kind of want more of a look of like, well, I only really want to buy this book if it's about the bullying in the industry and flat out said, no, <laughs> like that, that's not the goal of the book. That's, um, again, very important topic, but I'm not the person to write it. And I'm not, that's not what this was. So um, we ended up, you know, selling to uh, Brittany Brooks at Running Press, who's wonderful and gets it and has been a phenomenal editor. Um, and that's, that's how the book came to be. And then the thing that I should not have surprised me, and yet it did, <laughs> was uh, when I was making the initial list of like women I could profile for this, I was expecting the problem to be, I'm not gonna be able to find enough women. <laughs> and it was the opposite. Um, I ended up like, for the length of the book, it's 25 profiles. Um, the initial list I made of like people who would work within the parameters of the book was about 150. So like- That's awesome. Was, yeah, right? Like they were there, they were doing stuff. And every chapter has at least two or three other women listed in like sidebars who were also doing. So like, there's a bunch of them. <laughs> they just didn't always get the credit. Um, but they're there. So that, that was exciting. That is so cool. And I would have never, I would have never expected that either mm -hmm. because I mean, that's my, I, this isn't exactly the same, but 
I can kind of relate. I was in the Navy for six years. And when I joined and while I was in and since I've been out, the only thing I've ever really heard is like, were you harassed? Like, because it's yeah. also very prevalent in the military, too. And that's definitely I'm I'm I, I was. But <laughs> like, yeah. I also got awesome college money. I went to Korea. Like I have so many amazing things. And I think it's such a disservice to have those accomplishments and successes just labeled as no, you're all just victims. Like you must be poor, pitiful women working against the big bad men. And it's like, that's not how it is all the time. And sometimes it is, but it's Mm -hmm. not always like that. And so I like that you highlighted because I really had no idea my initial thought of the early game developers are all men in their basements or their garages, right? <laughs> like, that would be what I would assume. Yeah. I would never have known 150 women, at least, if not more, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and early. I think that's the part that really would stun people. You know, we kind of know now that there are more women in the industry than there used to be. But but even then, I, I like, again, these are women who were working in the, 80, you know, the early 80s, the late 70s. Um, these were you know, Roberta Williams and Donna Bailey and Danielle Buttonberry. And they were all, they were early in the industry and they were tackling a lot of the same questions that we are now. Things like how do you manage online spaces and prevent bullying and cheating? How do you, uh, you know, how do you make this, uh, how do you make these enemies challenging without being impossible and horrible and rage quit? You know, they, they were facing all the same questions that we still do as designers. Um, and it really kind of makes you feel connected to see of women who have been part of this industry, which is also a very cool feeling. Um, I also have um, kind of a similar uh, background to you in that I was uh, briefly in the Navy while I was in college and then uh, became a journalist uh, covering sports and then became a game dev. So I've been in male dominated industries my entire adulthood as well. And I'm like, listen, I, I it's not all bad. Like I'm a fairly happy person, actually. Like a lot of those experiences have been great too. And I just, I get really sick of, you know, being asked to do interviews only to talk about harassment. You know, it's like, that's just not all we are. We're not just victims. (laughs) We are also just as successful and creative and passionate and interesting as, as our male counterparts. Um, So, you know, that's, that's part of our story too. So hopefully the book shows that off. I mean, hopefully like it does. That's its point. Yeah. No, I mean, I've worked in mainly female industries. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I work in the hotel industry. So front desk agent, we're all perky, happy girls. And then working in accounting, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. yep. A majority of the people that I've worked with have all been women. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I harass the guys. <laughs> <laughs> now you got to write a book about it. It's going to be a whole thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I just don't like that idea either of like, well, if you were a woman in a male dominated industry, you succeeded despite like, despite that stuff. And it's like, that's not, that's not true. Not, it's just not, everyone has trials and some things are really, really, really horrible. And that needs to change, like shine the flashlight and watch the cockroaches scatter. Right. And you can get them. But like, I also don't want to, I'm glad that you wrote that book. And I'm glad that we're talking about that. Because I would hate to think of every woman in games as just somebody who's surviving something. Yeah, You know, I'm glad because they're thriving, clearly, like you seem to be thriving. (laughs) You're doing amazing. 
<laughs> Thanks. I, I feel pretty good. Um, and, and, you know, and I know that my experience isn't universal and I've certainly faced harassment too. And I um, have had to deal with that. Like, I'm not saying it's not there and we shouldn't talk about it. It certainly is. It's just not the only piece of conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had another point and I completely forgot. Hold on one second. <laughs> no, that's okay. Wait, 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 wait. I was just thinking that's why we need more women in games and more people of mm-hmm. all backgrounds because then that stuff will stop. Like you have a group, like you have a click of one type of person, then it's easy for a toxic environment to come up. But, and then it's just, you write better stories when you have more points of view represented too, I think. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. Um, I've, I've never worked on a story where that did not benefit from having more people of more diverse backgrounds. Like that is just always true. Um, and being able to kind of challenge each other in a writer's room, of course, in a respectful, you know, compassionate, empathetic way. But like that does make more varied and interesting uh, characters and stories for sure. I also don't um, I remember the pink. <laughs> I also really don't buy into slash really, really don't like the narrative of like the one special girl or like the not like other girls girl that that one's the one that kind of kills me a little bit is um i i think some of the stories especially written you know i did a lot of research for the book obviously and a lot of the coverage written especially in the early 2000s and the early 2010s was very um she's not like other girls she's cool and plays video games and i'm like if we're writing that about 50 people (laughs) what if what if it's what if it's not the one special girl what if it's hey women are also into this (laughs) like you know it's uh, I, I think that actually some, sometimes women can kind of knock ourselves down, you know, knock each other down when we buy into that attitude as well. So I also hope the book kind of dispels that, that it's like, you don't have to be the one true woman to like succeed in an industry like this. It's like, actually, a bunch of people with a bunch of different mindsets, with a bunch of different perspectives and backgrounds can all succeed in this industry if we create healthy work environments. Like if we create places with boundaries where we treat each other well, Um, it doesn't have to be like survival of the fittest because that's a bad way to run a creative project anyway. And games are creative projects. So um, that's my perspective on it. No, absolutely agree. Yeah. I it's, it should be collaborative, not Mm -hmm. competitive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, uh, not to be my feminist self, but <laughs> the patriarchy, you know, like, the <laughs> yeah. male dominated space of creating this, like everyone's competing, you have to be the best, the best second is just the first loser type mentality is not right. I remember because that that early 2000s was my coming of age time as a mm-hmm. 90s kid. And I remember thinking people were being like, Oh, you're so weird. You're such a nerd. And then I had that thought about myself I was like, No, I'm not like other girls because I play games and you know, we did that to ourselves too. And I quickly grew out of that (laughs) when I got out of high school and went to the Mm -hmm. Navy. Yep. Um, because luckily my, I was a linguist when I was in the Navy. So Hmm, I was with a lot of nerds. (laughs) Um, (laughs) most of them were men, but they, Mm -hmm. it was, I don't know. It's like we became adults and suddenly you didn't have to prove yourself as much. Yeah. And it's just gotten better with age now. So I hope that I was going to ask for you as someone who's worked in games growing up around the same time, what Mm -hmm. do you have to say now? Like if you could give a speech to those high schoolers, what would you have to say to them? I would say uh, 
number one is trust yourself. Um, trust that you know what kind of genre you want to work in, what kinds of things you want to work on. Trust your own voice to be both, you know, unique and new and interesting. And that voice is not going to jive with every team that you apply to, but that's okay. It shouldn't. Like, you only need one yes, right, to, to get into the game dev industry. Um, trust yourself in terms of know how you want to be treated. And I know that's really hard, especially when you're younger and trying to break in. Um, I certainly did not do this perfectly when I, when I was uh, when I was younger. But if you're at a place where people aren't treating you the way that you want to be treated, where you don't feel like you're able to be your full creative self, where you don't feel like, um, you know, you just don't feel like you're, you're doing the things that you set out to do as a game developer, you don't have to stay. Like there are, you know, the the exciting thing is there are a lot of studios now who are very focused on narrative and on, you know, creating the best games you can. And you have those options, you know, you, you deserve to be in a space where you're treated well and you get to work on projects that excite you. So it would be, I know this is like so much easier said than done, but like, don't let yourself be railroaded by fear. Just like trust yourself to make choices based on, your excitement and your passion, because there is a place for you. It might not be the place you expected, but like maybe it'll be even better, <laughs> which would be rad. Um, that that would be what I would say to them slash my younger self. And my younger self would be like, yeah, whatever, nerd. But, but you know, <laughs> the attempt is worth making regardless. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly because I, I think about that a lot. Now I have a two-year-old daughter and I'm like, what would I want her to think? And I feel like all my major mistakes in life are when I let someone else tell me who I was or what I should think. And we really have such good intuitions, like most people do anyway. <laughs> you really mm -hmm. should listen to yourself because you're not usually wrong. Yeah. And I mean, me and Jen met last year. <laughs> we just started mm -hmm. this podcast and we didn't think we would ever get any interviews. And now we have like five more after you lined up. <laughs> and it's like, it really didn't take that much. It's just two, two girls <laughs> like yeah. coming together and getting to talk to you and all these other narrative designers, I, it felt like such a world away, even though, you know, we've been such game fans our whole lives. Mm -hmm. It felt like untouchable, like, oh, those are just the, the gamer gods and goddesses that we'll never <laughs> get to speak to. Right. So it's, it's just so cool because you guys are humans and you're amazing and it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I mean, I am a million percent followed up. I can still remember, I live in Chicago and I did when I was, um, 24 and decide to apply to grad school too. I can remember like the bridge I was walking across in Chicago when I went, I might apply to game dev grad school. Nope. That seems stupid. <laughs> That's never going to go anywhere. So like I completely felt the same way. I was like, ah, game devs are like unto the gods and I a mere mortal am going to be stuck in my magazine job till I die probably. But <laughs> like, but obviously I'm not like, you know, and not everybody's path to game dev or around game dev or trying game dev and realizing they maybe don't like it actually like it's not all gonna look the same but i do think you know as much as you can like you try to pursue those things if you have the ability to do so like i i also know you know privilege is different for every person and it's not available to everybody but as much as you can like trust yourself to have the talent and the skill needed and the skills that you don't have yet you can learn like nobody is going to expect you to know everything there's to know about game development and that's the only way you can get in like nobody knows everything about game development. <laughs> you know, I, I've been a game writer for six years now and there's so much I still don't know and I'm still learning. That's, that's okay. Like don't hold yourself to impossibly high standards either. Right. I think the moment that you say, oh, I already know everything about that topic <laughs> is 
no, no, you don't. <laughs> There's always more to learn. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know how you could enter any industry and think that you know everything <laughs> ever because every industry I've been part of, like it, it just, the yawning chasm of things I just don't know is like immediately apparent to me. Um, and thank goodness, you know, I'm surrounded by other people who I can lean on who also like have have different perspectives than I do. That goes back to what you were saying about having um, not just a diverse writing team, but also a diverse development team is like, uh, you know, nobody knows everything. But if we can put all our heads together, we have a better chance of making something really cool and fresh and interesting. And something we always talked about in the Navy. I don't know if your Navy experience was the same, <laughs> but when I was there, we were, everyone was always saying diversity is a strength. Diversity is mm -hmm. a strength. And I mean, we were quite a diverse group where I was working. And it's very, very true. <laughs> it mm -hmm. will never not be true. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're creating stories, because stories are just like a magnifying glass on pieces of life that's happened or could theoretically happen in real life. And even if mm -hmm. it's fantasy, it's like the people, the characters you're making, they're all based on human perceptions. So yeah. it's just the more you have to pull from, the better your story will be. And that's cool. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think if you're writing sci-fi or fantasy, in some ways, that's even more true, because we are building rules of how we think the world works, whether we think it should or not, we are saying this is how the world would work. I mean, if you look at, um, I'm again, just picking on it, because we were talking about it earlier, uh, Mass Effect, how do humans react to aliens? Well, that's based on the writing team's assumption of how humans would react to aliens, right? Like that, those are, um, that is going to change her, every writer is going to have a different perspective on how they think people would react because humans would all react differently. Like I, that, that is always going to come up. I think one of the things that's really interesting about being in a writer's room, but is also very intimidating, especially when you're newer to them, is um, you get to know each other really, really well. <laughs> like even, you know, you're not at work just talking about like, oh, I wonder if this character should, uh, I don't know, throw a grenade in Act 2. It's like, I wonder what the fundamental question of this person's life is. And that everybody debating that for two hours reveals a lot about ourselves, right? Like, um, mm -hmm. so, so you get very tight, very quickly <laughs> in a writer's room. Oh, that sounds so cool. <laughs> I, I gave, I speaking to Heidi a lot. I, this is just a random aside about me, but I was mm -hmm. like, I think I'll just try to be a producer someday. That's my goal. Whenever yeah. we move, we have a lot going on in, in my household, but I just want to be a part of making those stories. And I never thought mm -hmm. until this last year that it would happen. Kind of like you, I just was like, oh, it's impossible. I'm already mm -hmm. 30. No one's going to hire me. And then I mm -hmm. tried a little bit. I didn't get hired, but I got so close, so mm -hmm. close for my first try <laughs> with like no game developer background, a very eclectic background, but not for game development. And that's why when I, when I talked, she was like, why don't you do producer instead? Because that would make more sense and mm -hmm. for you. And I was like, well, that's cool. <laughs> I've never thought of that before. And it's just, there's this whole wealth of things. I, I didn't realize how much went into games until we started looking into it and yeah. even just analyzing these stories. And I, I, we've been doing Mass Effect recently, like Mass Effect 2. Mm -hmm. And I, I was just thinking about this the other day, like analyzing these characters. I'm like, how much effort in time, it went in to make this character that's basically a person mm -hmm. that I'm now able to analyze as deeply because there's that much there that someone created. Like, that's yeah. so impressive to me. <laughs> but before you want to go or are able to go, I want to make sure we get what's your favorite romance out of any game you've played? <laughs> Do you have one? 
I do, of course. <laughs> um, I gotta say, Alistair is my favorite from Dragon Age Origins, and the reason he is my favorite is I. And this is true of all media, not just games. I I tend to not be into romance when they're kind of side like tacked on the side. It's like here's our whole cool plot, and then also like a smoochy boo hangs out sometimes. I'm like, nah, I don't really care. Uh, I think that both Alistair and Morgan are wonderful in Dragon Age Origins because they are both very tied into the main plot. Um, they they have a lot to do in the main storyline. Um, so Al's Al's my favorite. Uh, he is. <laughs> You know, uh, the the kind of joke like among my friends is, wow, you really have a type and it's sarcastic, lawful good. And I'm like, yeah, it sure is. Because the person I'm married to is also sarcastic, lawful good. So it's yeah. art, art imitating life. My <laughs> husband's also ginger too. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely is that. I yeah. I was, when I was playing Uncharted for the first time, I didn't realize mm. Steve Valentine was a voice actor in there. For and, and I, he apparently he just voice acts with his actual voice because he sounded yep. exactly the same. And I was like, no, he he's evil. Wait, it's just it's Alistair though. Like I could it's not. It's him and Morgan. I mean, yes, Claudia Black. Claudia they're Black. in the same game. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, and I don't know how I missed this, but when we did tally research for her episode, she mm-hmm. Claudia Black is one of the Corian admirals i think or one yeah. of the people in there and i was i was listening to this scene i'm like wait claudia black's right there and she's in rick and morty one episode <laughs> yep, yep, yep <laughs> she's yeah. everywhere she's, she's the she's evil great. corian who wants to do experimentations on legion yeah she is and then there's um the guy who plays logan in dragon age is actually a good corian admiral so i'm like all right okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> my personally to deal with <laughs> my friend told me that my fellow dragon age nerd friend she was like mm-hmm. Keep a lookout for Logan's voice actor. I yeah, like, I never noticed that either. I Why is he being nice? To me? Yeah, I let my boyfriend behead you. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's fun. I, I don't know. I, I hope someday we can get some voice actor interviews as well because that's a whole huge piece of the narrative design thing. I feel like, like you were talking about how you didn't even realize how. The, was it for Violet, the voice actress, mm-hmm. reading lines? Yeah. And you're like, wait, oh, I didn't realize she would take it that way. I actually like that. Yeah, like, yeah, Gideon Adlin. Yeah, she did a great job. Um, I, I get a lot of my job. And actually, people don't all, often know this about game writers. We get to spend a lot of time in the in the voiceover booth. Um, we're usually there helping with direction and intention and all of that. It's one of my favorite parts of my job. Working with actors is so freaking rad because... Sometimes, you know, even the best game writers can get kind of wrapped up in what is the plot? Does the player know what's happening? We have to tell them what's going on. But the thing that actors never, ever forget is, yeah, but what am I doing here? Like, what is my character's motivation? Why do I care about this? And then you, the writer, have to go, ah, you're right. <laughs> and, then, and then you can kind of work that out together. So, like, I love working with actors. It's one of the best parts of the job. On something, on a project like Miles, um, I get to be on the performance capture stage as well. So when we're doing those scenes, we're all kind of working together on it. And it's it's so much fun. It's so great. That sounds like a fantasy. I, I've watched all the behind the scenes stuff for The Last of Us and that whole setup. It's so amazing. <laughs> like I would probably just get wrapped up and forget that I was supposed to be working. <laughs> <laughs> I did. There, there was this one scene that we were recording with... Um, with Miles and uh, one of the actors delivered a line in a way that I hadn't expected her to at all. And I was, I was reading the script. I wasn't even watching the scene. I was following along the script to make sure they got all the lines and I dropped my script. I was like, 
And she was like, it was so hard for me not to break character because I saw you do and it was like a whole. But I did um, my moment in the sun for sure on Miles was I was standing right to the side of the performance capture stage and um, like where they're actually shooting it. And um, it's seen near the beginning of the game where Peter from the first game and Miles have just talked and then like they swing away and they swan right into me <laughs> and like miles tackled me <laughs> and i was like aha i was tackled by spider-man <laughs> <That's> <laughs> on my resume now <laughs> so also that's part amazing <laughs> bucket list goal you didn't know you had <laughs> right? I know, like, check that off <laughs> yeah i that's why i hope we can get some voice actor someday because they bring the character to life like that's mm -hmm. uh, you couldn't have it without their performance it wouldn't have the same impact i feel like you, you think of like jennifer hale for me shepherd oh, will yeah. always be femme shep because of that mm -hmm. her voice acting was just chef's kiss <laughs> oh <laughs> the yeah best she although um, i love so mark mirror yeah I, I love them both but i i'm i'm with you because i've always played femme shep so like femme shep is my canon too um well and then jennifer hale plays a, a main character in ratchet and clank rift apart and so the first time i was in the booth i was i was like mm, i'm i get a fangirl i'm gonna ah. like i was just standing there pinching myself it was so that's amazing but she's <laughs> wonderful slightly by the jealous way. <laughs> yeah she, she's she seems cool. wonderful everyone so far that we've interacted with in the games industry is so wonderful. I was like, they're going to be snooty or they're just not going to give us the time of day. Not the case at all. Like complete opposite experience so far. <laughs> it surprised me again. Like it's one of those, it surprised me, but it shouldn't have like, wow, everybody else in the game dev industry, like everybody is nerds, is <laughs> very passionate nerds as I am. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. Nerds are awesome. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> I love them forever. <laughs> mm, I've always been proud to be a nerd. I'm glad mm. it's cool to be one now too, though, because I could do without the bullying in my childhood. Yeah, we're very in right now. It's it's mm -hmm. a new experience for sure. I mean, I'm into it. I'm, I'm not against it. It's yeah, just new. I hope yeah. it stays this way. So when my kid finally gets into school, like she'll be cool, <laughs> unlike <laughs> me. Yeah. <laughs> But we'll always know that we're those hipster nerds because we were nerds <laughs> before it was cool. Before it was cool. I know. <laughs> you used don't know how good you've got it. <laughs> right. My controller had two buttons on it. Now, look at this thing. <laughs> In this rumble effect. Oh, that's cute. All right. Fine. Oh, wow. That's that's how I'll be, I'm sure, like with my I have, I have little nieces now. And I'm like, you have so many choices that I just didn't. PlayStation 5, psh, I had the OG. It's fine. <laughs> right. Yeah, me too. I, well, that was my experience just playing the remastered Uncharted, the first one. It came out in 2007. And I was like, wait, what? Like, just even the controls and, like, the way things were designed. I was like, I have to go back into the ancient lore of my mind. <laughs> like, I don't even remember how these games worked. Where one ah. button is all you need to navigate the world. And it leads to hilarious accidental deaths and stuff. Because <laughs> it's just not fine-tuned the way that it is nowadays. But it was yeah. it's still mm -hmm. amazing. Like, it's like you were talking about Foundation. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Being able to build on and kind of launch off. And there's so many things that we had even figured out pretty early. Like I went back and played, uh, gosh, probably three years ago now, I went back and played that original Neverwinter Nights game to be like, oh, this is the one that sucked me in. I'm going to play it again because they did a remaster, I want to say for PS4. And um, playing it again, I was like, wow, there are so many, there's so much good 
narrative design in here that is the exact same thing that we do now is like introducing the inside here's the inciting incident here are the characters that are matter this is why you know this is how we'll get you invested this is why you care because xyz happened like a lot of the same storytelling principles that we're still you know planning to in in games like they had figured out you know 10 and 12 and 15 years ago and it's like Oh, cool. Glad that glad that we're all having the same problems over and over and over again. <laughs> but you know, just the nature of yeah, I guess you need a trial by fire to have the good story come out the other end. Yeah, I I, I mean, they always <laughs> they always say the best writing is in rewriting, right? And that's um that's true in my experience and everything I've ever written. It's also really hard in something like game development when you're doing that alongside um you know, trying to make gameplay as cool and compelling and interesting as possible, which takes a lot of revision. And you have a lot of other departments who are affected by rewrites. So it's it's just, um, yeah, it's a very collaborative process <laughs> for sure. And um, really need to be good at working with a lot of other departments to be a game writer for that reason. Because, um, you know, if I decide to change a line of dialogue, I, there's probably 12 people I need to talk to to see if that works, right? At minimum. Oh, that's yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about like, animation the voice acting audio um post-production possibly lighting like there are just so many departments who are touching every single thing that writers put into a game that um we all need to understand what we're making and we all need to understand what it takes to get there so um i i tell people a lot um because i i teach narrative design and i i tell people if you want to be the kind of writer who kind of like wants to go off into the woods and do your own thing uh game devs not not going to be it <laughs> like mm. that you know write write books write them to to your heart's content but game dev that's not going to work because uh you j there's just so many you're really only creating a blueprint you're not creating the final product as a writer um nothing i create is what players actually see right i am creating a blueprint of things that other people are going to make from voice actors to animators um that's something to keep in mind too yeah because we when we write our episodes it's just the two of us and so anything mm -hmm. that i change on my stuff doesn't affect v too much but mm -hmm. i couldn't imagine 12 other people looking at it <laughs> <laughs> i i definitely had uh my first few years in game dev were i'm like i'm glad i was at a smaller studio first i mean not telltale's not tiny like but, but it was smaller than insomniac is and I'm glad because it gave me a little more room to fail um, and, and kind of figure out what I wanted to do uh, where, you know, it was six or seven people giving me feedback on my scripts versus like uh, 20 or 30. <laughs> and, you know, that that, that was um, that was easier for sure for a young writer who was trying to figure figure herself and her voice out. Um, well, we're at our hour. So we are. <laughs> do you want to or have anything to plug i know we talked about your book but where can we find you the easiest place to find me is on twitter where i live basically <laughs> um my handle is mary k news it's mary k news because i used to be a journalist it's not it's not because like i'm famous or anything just FYI. um but yeah that is, that is the easiest place to find me and then I also have a website that has like my contact information, which is marykgames.com, um, where it's a full list of stuff I've worked on and then also ways to get in touch. So 
those are the two spots. Um, the things to plug are basically whatever we talked about, the book that's coming out this year. Um, I'm always releasing comics at any given time. <laughs> the latest was a Godzilla comic, uh, and I will have more out this year, maybe. I don't know. Uh, so those are those are the big things happening. Thank you so much for your time. We got more than I expected. I, I'm always amazed at how generous people are with their time. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. We really, really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, thanks. I had a really good time too. If there's anything that um like is unclear or you you know, you need to cut or anything, it's like totally fine. Because <laughs> I was like I felt myself getting rambly a couple times and I was like, Oh god. Oh my <laughs> gosh, no, we love our editing <laughs> We love rambles and tangents and digressions. <laughs> that's what we're all about. <laughs> Yep. (laughs) That's my own little mental catchphrase. I was like, we are the two girls. We are all about tattoos, tits, and Turians and tangents. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Oh my God. Engrave that on my tombstone. I love that. That's so great. I also I didn't show off the Dragon Age tattoo. I have a really big one. I would love to see it. That's my next tattoo is getting something Dragon Age and or Mass Effect. Red Cliff. Yep. Oh, wow. There's that one. I love it. Like, I'm like showing my entire everything. <laughs> it's, okay. it's like there's like a, the archdemon skull is right there. Oh wow! It's like, yeah, it's a whole sitch. <laughs> like, That's amazing. Yeah, I have itty bitty like Patronus tattoo, That's a rabbit. Really cool. I have a rabbit. And I got my I am no man in Tengwar. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then a cat. Nice. <laughs> That's it so far. I'm planning to get a relay right there, like I resent all the stuff to my my dude, and he's like, "What is this?" I'm like, it, d- "Don't worry, d- don't it, ask questions. It'll take that. too long." <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, my gaming tattoo. Well, let's see. Uh, I oh, it's lighting bright. is difficult right now, but it's Zena's so- chakram. Yeah, I saw it. Like, oh, I thought when we started recording, I was like, I was like, can I get a better look? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's really pretty. Oh, it's so cool. I love that. That's so yeah. rad. And then I'm a uh, resistance agent uh, from a cell phone game called Ingress. That's awesome. Hold yeah. on, I need to write things down. I'm always looking for <laughs> new stuff to play. Um, so I'll, I'll, anything that people have tattoos of, I'm like, all right, I'm probably mm-hmm. going to play it. <laughs> yeah, definitely Dragon Age and Mass Effect are my next tattoos. Oh, and, and then Harry Potter. I got Lord of the Rings. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like yes. I've been drinking coffee this whole time. <laughs> I I have also drinking coffee. I also since I started working on Wolverine, I wear a lot more plaid than I used to. <laughs> yes, like art imitating life, I guess. <laughs> You're channeling Logan. I'm channeling my boy. Uh, <laughs> I really want to relate to the character by only wearing plaid and being very grumpy all the time. <laughs> it's great. If you start t- uh, taping knives to your hand, though, do you want me to text <laughs> you and be like, "That might be too far." Could you not? <laughs> do. Just be like, listen, love. You don't even commitment. need to tape knives. They make like little things. Yeah, that you can. They got them. <laughs> I, several people on the team already have them. <laughs> they're very excited and nerdy. I'm also. I'm a big. Anytime a man cries on camera, I'm like, oh, yeah. there he is. There's my romance. <laughs> I am a sucker for a vulnerable one. <laughs> yeah, that's why we were talking about Mass Effect romances. And I was like, I I love Caden in one. Actually, I really like him. In three, I'm like, you're you're fine. I'm going to dump you, but you're cool. But man, one, he gets real, he gets a lot of feefies. And I'm very, <laughs> that's very much my thing. <laughs> yeah, and my rabbit somewhere. I don't know where he is. <laughs> I got a lot of animals. <laughs> I love it. That's why my favorite, like, male in movies is Dootz Commander. Because I'm like, if you were real, perfect for me. Adorable, 
vulnerable, loves animals. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were saying, Jen, we started with Liara and then went. And then we did the research for our Caden episode, and I really started listening and paying attention to what he says. And I'm like, all right. I'm one of them now. I'm a freaking yeah. Shanko, and I never <laughs> expected that to happen. I didn't expect it either. And I also, so my first playthrough, like I said, I'm on my second playthrough now, and I'm romancing Garrus, but my first playthrough was actually just a Shanko playthrough. And I really liked it. Like, the, the reason I'm doing the Garrus romance this time is because I did the first time. And I, like, I liked him a lot in one when he had a lot of feelings, and I like that we break up in two and have to come back to I'm like ooh these roller coasters <laughs> so much shit going on like I, I, I was into it too and I like Larry I mean you're spoiled for choice in this right like mm-hmm. I'm like there, I, there's not really anybody I like entirely dislike there was I, until we did this I, I didn't really like Miranda and I didn't like Ashley but now I love them mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah I, I don't didn't... know much about that i love miranda though yeah she's one of my favorite characters she's i i loved gareth so the second ashley started spouting some anti-turian stuff i was like you're gonna die in vermeer (laughs) (laughs) and then i started researching her for our episode on her there's more to her i didn't i just ignored her Mm -hmm. but there's there's more to her and she's good i'm just kind of bummed for everyone who romanced them like they skip all of two basically you don't get don't get romance with them but i'm glad that you're romancing gareth because if you haven't and Hopefully you have the Citadel DLC. Oh, you have Legendary. I do. So yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. I've, the, yeah. The whole uh, thing I've, is just fan service. <laughs> yeah, I've ne- I've played Citadel, but I've never played it um, with a Garrus romance. I've only, when I played Mass Effect way back in the day when it first came out, um, I was a Thane romancer. So again, I just. I've romanced him. He's very, he's very good. <laughs> he's yeah. very sad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> His Citadel stuff made me cry a lot. Uh, oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, this time, then, my first playthrough was Shanko, and then now I'm doing Garrus, and, uh, yeah, all the Garrus stuff is new, and I'm like, whoa, I'm not going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I can't wait for you to finish so you know. I almost want to say don't listen to our Garrus episode until after you're done. Yeah. I haven't on purpose like to not spoil myself i've listened to the the like ones where i knew i wasn't doing the you know i listened to like kaden and i listened to liara and like but i haven't listened to the garris one yet because he spoiled so so we're safe and then the second i finish three with garris then i'll go listen to it (laughs) yeah well you can wait till two because we Mm -hmm. we just covered mass effect 2 and then when we're finished with mass effect 2 we're gonna i think go to cyberpunk and then I don't think we're even doing Mass Effect 3 till next year at this rate. Yep. Yeah. Like, we've got a lot planned already. There's too many games. We can't <laughs> stop making them. No, yeah. No, don't no, stop we, making them. No. Them. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. Please. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm finished two this morning. I mean, I still have DLC, but uh, mm-hmm. I kind of finished two this morning and then Horizon just came out. So I know yeah. I'm going to take a big long break and then get to three. It'll be a whole thing. So. I pre-ordered that. Did not arrive yesterday. I'm mad at GameStop. No. <laughs> I know. So it better be here today or I will be mad. Yeah. Even more mad. But I, it's fine. I had to finish Uncharted. I still have to get four. But I, I had bought the remastered trilogy. And oh my gosh. So fun. I actually really liked. I don't know if you've played that series. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just such a fun little adventure. It reminds me of like yeah. gamer Indiana Jones and stuff. Like yes. it's just kind of simple, but so good. Yeah, and so well done, and and I forgot that it was Naughty Dog at first, and I was like, man, this this type of like super cinematic game, it's really making me think of Last of Us. I'm like, oh, duh, it's Naughty Dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They obviously honed their craft well because oh, 
I have never cried more in a game. I don't know if you've played Last of Us Part Two. Oh, yeah. At the uh, end, mm-hmm. when you're in the water, <laughs> I was uh, sobbing like, "No, no!" I, I was. I didn't want to fight. I have yelled a lot in the best way about that boss fight because specifically the biggest thing that I freaking love about that boss fight is in game dev, in my experience, like mostly as a freelancer more than anything else when I was freelance writing, you know, there, there is the temptation. I think an understandable one to make your boss fight as big and bombastic and explosive and huge and gnarly as possible, because this is our last chance to impress you, right? (laughs) Like, so we're going to throw everything we've got at you and it's going to be, fireworks on top of grenades on top of tanks like it's gonna be freaking mm-hmm. gnarly right and that and that works in some genres but i love how quiet and desperate and small yeah. it is it's so much more intense because it's tiny mm-hmm. two people fighting in the water with knives is like it's it's one of the most intense experiences i've ever had and i'm like me too yeah and it's, I, so- it's the fact that abby got so emaciated and they're both covered in blood and injured you can't even tell them apart sometimes yeah. And at that point in the game when you've played as both of them and you stopped hating Abby for what she did and you you don't want to fight either of them as either of them. And I was like, this yeah. is amazing. Mm-hmm. I can't believe they did this. It made me mad when I heard all the criticism about that game from the dumb boys, mostly. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you guys clearly don't know what a good story is because this is like <laughs> one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had playing a game. And I can't say enough about the actresses who brought those characters to life. Yeah. Like, I mean, they just, man, like, yeah, that is, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of good in there for sure. Um, and, and yeah, Naughty Dog is, it, you brought up kind of the cinematic glory <laughs> of Uncharted. Mm-hmm. There is a chase sequence in 4 that is still one of my favorite sequences in any video game ever. It's the, the score is perfect. The gameplay is perfect. The animation is perfect. And like, Every yeah. time I see it, it's so good. It makes me angry. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, gosh, the music really ramped up in Uncharted 3. And there's this mm-hmm. scene after you crash the plane and you're wandering around in the desert. And I'm just, it, the camera was so far away. And I thought I was yeah. watching a cut scene. And he's just standing there and the music is going. I'm like, oh, shit, I got to walk. Because like, I didn't realize. <sighs> and then you were like, I'm in a movie. Like, I'm in a movie right now. <laughs> this, this is amazing. So, so I feel yeah. like. You're going to be stoked then because one of the profiles in my book is Amy Hennig, who was the like the creative uh, director. She was. Yeah, she she mm-hmm. helped pitch and launch Uncharted um, and was the creative director of the first three games. And- I literally just saw her name on the credits before because mm-hmm. I finished the game literally like two hours ago. And yeah. I saw I was just watching the credits. I'm like, oh, my God, a woman. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The creative director. Like, no wonder. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, her history is, like, also fascinating because she was, like, she was studying film, but she was also an artist, and she just kind of picked up, like, a game dev contract, like, is, oh, better pay the bills, and then she was phenomenal and ended up doing everything, and she was doing art and design and narrative, and then, you know, wound up at Naughty Dog, where they're like, hey, we're pitching a new IP, want to help? And she was like, sure, what if, what if adventures, and that's how we got Uncharted, and it it is amazing. It's very cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I wasn't gonna pre-order your book already, I am now. <laughs> <laughs> she, yeah, it's uh, man. All, it's great. <laughs> I love video game history. Obviously, yeah. Huge <laughs> I, I didn't you. know that. I, you. I, <laughs> I hide it so well. I'm so cool and casual. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. I'll actually let you go now because I could wax apart. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm like I know so both of us. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I don't know if you are. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's almost 1230 here. So I'm like, oh, snacks. So. Yeah. 
thank, thank you, you so for, so much yeah yes. thank you for having me um yeah i will i will <laughs> i will be in touch as i finish various mm-hmm. playthroughs and scream <laughs> yeah if you ever want to come back let us know we are also totally here welcome. for emotional support <laughs> i appreciate that and vice versa if you ever have an open and you're like yo we want to ask you more about xyz because no. i'm right. around sounds yeah. good right. going to gamestop getting miles morales and uncharted 4 <laughs> my your horizon uh, yeah i will we will pick it we'll help you <laughs> if needed thanks bye, bye holy fucking shit dude <laughs> that was so cool oh. i still that was an amazing interview. Mm-hmm. I I don't know why I always expect things to not just flow because I'm just an awkward person. So I was so afraid that my awkwardness would make it awkward. <laughs> Mary is so awesome. Not only is she awesome, she's a gamer nerd. And that's, I mean, gamer nerds can always talk to other gamer nerds for like literal evers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was nice to bond with someone about romancing Alistair and Solus. We're not the only two who's done that, but it's always nice to meet a fellow soulless mancer. Oh, eventually, mm-hmm. I'll get there. Mm-hmm. But the bro is calling my name right now, and I have to, <laughs> I have to, I have to heed the call. You should go. I should go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, not quite yet. I loved all of the nerd surrounding her in her office. I mean, there was so much that we talked about. I loved the book. I can't wait for that to come out. I'm really like the history of gaming never really sounded interesting to me because it was like, I grew up gaming. I know about gaming, but then I'm like, wait a minute. No, I just know about the experience I had playing the game, not about who created that experience for me. Yeah. Not to mention how games are made now. It was really nice to hear like some insider insight on what it takes to write a believable romance, a believable friendship and character, and how much work goes into it. I really also liked everything she talked about when it comes to, not to sound cliche, but like following your dream, the difference between someone living their dream and not is apparently just doing it, you know, (laughs) like just going for it. My mom always said, shoot for the moon. If you don't get there, at least you're in the stars. She's definitely a star. My mom told me a million times growing up, uh, you're a smart girl. Figure it out. I have held that phrase in my head for so long and I use it with my own daughter now. And to me, it has always meant like, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to fail, but figure out what you've done wrong along the way and then fix it. My mom always said the same thing too. And it's nice to have that foundation of strength from our moms. (laughs) Yeah. That was a sidebar. Total sidebar. Back to Mary. Back to Mary. Same thing with Mary, though. She is clearly a strong and driven person, and she is definitely someone that I'm glad is interacting with young people today Mm -hmm. so that they can learn that lesson, too. 100% falls in line with the raising other women up and raising other people up rather than don't push anybody down to get yourself forward. Raise other people up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the only way to be. Well, I think that's it for today, V. Uh, But if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me in our Two Girls, One Ship chat on the Robots Radio Discord channel. 
and come give us a follow on all the social medias and on Patreon at Two Girls One Ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well. And also be sure to check out our live stream on Twitch and YouTube on Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays. Because you need at least one good thing on a Monday, check out the description for all links if you're interested. Thanks for listening. And remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And always remember... Swooping.